I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we have some listener questions. What's up? Well, first, what are you working on? Oh, right. There's that. Um, what am I working on? Camping. Yeah. Learning how to use a little trailer. We did it. Woo. It was so like a creative process. Yeah. Like we were like, um, okay, we have to do this way ahead of time and really know everything and train ourselves. And then it was like, oh, it's time to leave. And we hadn't done so that. So we're not going to do that until now. Yeah. And then we're going to figure it out. We're not going to do it very well at first. And then we're going to get better. Exactly. And we're going to figure out how to work together. Yeah. And, and then this week I also got to do some work f- with Adobe Character Animator. So that was a little bit fun exploring that software and how it does animation mm. from motion capture. Very exciting. Yeah. Um, I will say I've gotten a few um, very nice rejections. And I, you know, I sort of have maybe never been one of those people who totally... I mean, I always, you know, encourage everybody and everything, but like, you know, the sort of like, oh, they wrote, they used to be in the old days when it was not all electronic, it would be like, oh, they wrote, you know, a smiley face on it or whatever. Just like people would take encouragement from like anything. It was a nice stamp or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was always like a little bit cynical about that stuff. But I have to say that like getting something that says like, we really enjoyed this and we would like to see more of your work feels good. Yeah. And I do know from working at the Paris Review that they're like, do not send encouragement unless you genuinely mean it because people will feel encouraged and they will respond to the encouragement and you don't want that unless you actually like their work. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, great. I like it. And so now I need to get more work out there. As, great. You know, my average one a day thing. I had this whole moment, I think I talked about it on a podcast where I realized like, you know, if you send out, if you count each individual poem as a submission, you know, it's really easy to accrue submissions. So I'm definitely like probably up to, up to count with that codicil. But anyway, it's time to send out some more stuff. Excellent. Um, yeah. So this is the question. And, you know, I had two similar questions and I'm only seeming to remember where one of them is, but it, it will stand in happily for, for the other. We hope the person who submitted that one will feel the same way. <laughs> so this person says, um, I'm trying to, you know, sort out how to build a right regular practice. I've had three novels in my head with accompanying random pages of notes on each of them for a long, long while. Um, because uh, I'm feeling scattered and really don't know how to choose which novel idea I start with and really how to get started writing it. Um, honestly, I need some writing therapy. I need a strategy or toolkit or something for deciding what to start on. And then I need to jump in. So, um, so that kind of question of like, here are my different ideas. You know, how do I choose one? How do I commit to one? How do I get started? Okay. So I will say, and I've probably talked about this before, but it's like we're all an old married couple here. But um, I had this therapist once who said to me, you're dating around on your novels. You need to like, you need to make a commitment to one of them and finish it. Remember that? Mm. And I did. And that was a good thing, I think. So, um, so I think it's a great question, you know, when you have... several good ideas. Mm -hmm. How do you? Well, I think first is kind of 
not just having notes or ideas in your head, but go pitch it to somebody. Mm-hmm. The truth is not every idea you have that you think is a novel is a novel. Mm-hmm. So the story, is it big enough? Is it big enough to hold that kind of uh, size and the expectations of a novel? And, and I will say you can pitch it to somebody and if you don't get the reaction you, know, you want, pitch it to somebody who's excitable, right? And then if you don't get the reaction you want, you can also rethink it and pitch it again. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely. But I think that, for example, um, you know, it depends on your genre and it depends on what you're wanting to explore in in your writing of a novel. Um, So all of that stuff is sort of true. But if if the idea isn't one that you could really see going for 400 pages, Mm -hmm. and not all novels go that long, but... If it really, if you're really like, you know what, at, when I, when push comes to shove, I don't know if this is even a 200 page, could you spend 200 pages kind of really fleshing out this idea? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then it doesn't mean you don't work on that project, but it just means that project might not be a novel. Well, the other thing is you could do some of the kind of book in a year exercises mm-hmm. that um, allow you to do some of the kinds of exploration that people who write an entire draft to figure out what they have to say do in a year or two or three or ten, but you can do it in a, in a faster way. Yes. So you can certainly do like a treatment or an outline. Log line. Log line. Um, the premise, you know, what mm-hmm. is what is the, what are the kind of big ideas you're grappling with? Log line is sort of what are the characters and conflicts you're you're grappling with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can do you could do an outline or a scene list and it can be very messy, like jot down everything you know. Right. So this person says they have notes and I don't know yeah, what that notes means. And pages. The other thing is, I mean, I I tend to overcomplicate things, so that's the grain of salt for this, but sometimes they might be connected. Like sometimes, mm-hmm. and I think this happens in exciting ways in fiction where you'll be like, I'm writing this thing here and I'm writing this thing over here and oh, they collide. And when mm-hmm. they collide, they create a lot of energy, right? They right. create kind of a rush of energy. So, so is your advice then, project. Yeah. right, your advice then is to see if there are in fact unifying principles that would make them fit well in the same project. And that, there's sort of, you know, Annie Dillard has in the writing life says, you know, spend it all, spend it now, like don't hold it back for the next book or a later place, just like, you know, spend it now. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you open your safe and find ashes. Well, that's upbeat. <laughs> So, you know, that's another thought just to dally with. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. so it's, you know, do some exploratory work on each one, which, you know, yes, writing pages is a kind of exploratory work, but maybe a little more formally. Like, mm-hmm. you know, put them on the wall. Like, look at Well, them. I think I, you know, I, here's the thing, and, and this is just the way my brain works versus anybody else's brain. But my brain works in a way where if I want to approach something, um, and I have several different ideas. Saying things like put stuff on the wall or do these other things is sort of almost the kind of thing I would do after I've decided. Mm. Because I would get lost in too much content. So for me, really like stripping it away and deciding whether or not it's a big enough idea to start with. Then if you're like, well, these are all comparably, like let's say they all could be big ideas, then exactly what you're saying about using like the outline tool as a way to go through and really explore and ask yourself like, 
could this be? If you can't come up with 60 scenes, and I'm not saying easily, I'm saying can't come up with 60 actual scenes, not like she has a feeling on a bridge, (laughs) then that's an indication that it may not be long enough, right? right? And then once you've sort of done that, I do think there's a place for who are you writing for? It doesn't have to be your editor and it doesn't have to be whatever, but like who is the person you want to get this novel? Who is the person you want to inspire with your work? And then find somebody who represents that and pitch them your novels. Because um, I think it is good to get feedback. Does this idea, tell this story to someone, does it grab people? Um, And if it doesn't, it might just mean you're missing something that you need to make sure you bring in. Like maybe there's missing tension. Um, You think about little kids telling a story, like that amazing story about what they did at school today. And you're like, I can't follow what's important um, because you're telling me everything. Every single piece of detail, right? that's me. It's a little kid. Yeah, but that's my thing. It's like, I want to tell everything. But I think you're right that the art of storytelling is kind of carving away, simplifying in a way. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, so I guess that's what I'm saying. When you're telling someone a story, which of these three options are the ones that will light up your readers or the readers you want to light up, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that's important, right, to just make sure the experiment is like that is is possible, right? That you're not in the placebo group. Yes. <laughs> With your, um, but the other thing I, I keep thinking as you talk about this about doing table reads for mm. uh, Lost in the Middle mm-hmm. and just having all these different people come and read these different characters and kind of how amazing they were mm-hmm. and how you could see like a character how you know how well a character worked by how all these different people could come in and like take up the mantle of that character and do something with it. Mm -hmm. And I will say, if you are courageous, (laughs) courageous, courageous, that is the new word I'm using. So if you are courageous Mm -hmm. and you have an amazing partner like I do, Mm -hmm. finding a group of people to do a table read can be powerful. And I I do understand that at this moment we're (laughs) in the Zoom table read. It might be a Zoom table read or it might be a socially distanced Table read outside. Where outside, you have to shout your conviction of those lines. Yeah. So there are the parameters that we're living within right now, and it's really, really interesting to hear other people create the characters you created. And so I, I think that's a great idea. If you had something like a like a treatment, mm-hmm. right? So you didn't necessarily have a full novel, but you had a basic sort of treatment. That other people could read even in that form, mm-hmm. you know, that could be a way to kind of do it. I think it is a question. How would you do, in your mind, mm-hmm. how would you do a table read for a novel? <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say that because I'm now listening to so many audiobooks and there are people who are so good at it. Mm. And I just want to say, take a moment actually on that note, on the audiobook note, to say that we're recording this on the day that Beverly Cleary died at 104. Huh, and yeah. her Ramona books are the best audio And Larry books. McMurtry. Larry McMurtry also died, but just... And just I, saying that's... Yeah. Big literary... Weird literary 
convergence. <laughs> he was <laughs> 84. Also, I think she was 104. Yeah. Also, so Chandler I think that means you should take the vaccine. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just using that logic, that yeah. same logic. You see, there's the there's two this. and the zero, and the two <laughs> means time two. Okay, but yes. back to Ramona the Pest and mm. and um, Stalker Channing. Stalker Channing reading them. Anyway, so I think that there is incredible ways for the. I mean, I think we're we're kind of reviving the oral tradition of the epic. In audiobooks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and having somebody amazing read your book, you know, yeah. must be incredible. I mean, and then some people do multiple voices right. and uh, you know whole performances, so um, it's pretty cool. Anyway, I do think there. Must I don't be- think that helps somebody who's trying to so get a group of people to perform your book. But that I'm you a haven't huge believer in reading your work aloud, whether you're by yourself or especially to anybody else, because I think. Even if it's something you just wrote, or maybe especially Here we go. If it's something you just wrote. Lockdown tips, like <laughs> as we're coming out. Yeah. So lockdown tips would be also to record yourself yes. and listen back to it. Listen and, back, yeah. Or have someone, if you're at all like any of the people I know who are like, oh, that's my voice, <laughs> then get somebody who you like. If you have that outline, have them read the outline. Um I or do I, both and compare where that person is emphasizing excitement and where you're emphasizing yeah. excitement. Um, or have your Mac read to you. Yeah, in a kind of slight monotone. And are you still interested? <laughs> also, I, I know that Ann Patchett sits, you know, toe-to-toe on a couch with a friend and reads her book aloud to them when she's done for like three days, which I just think sounds dreamy. She's got some good friends. Yeah, well, she's a pretty darn good writer, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not sort of just... I bet, I bet though, she's also got to be a good reader. Like, if she's reading it out loud, mm-hmm. she's probably got to mm-hmm. be a good reader. Because, you know, amazing work can be absolutely destroyed by a poor mm-hmm. reading. And do you think the other way around, too? I think, yeah, you could make a great performance, could make... Something that's not so great seem better, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they'll say a critic will say of a film like mm-hmm. you know that the sort of this, the actors were doing everything they possibly could with like a terrible script, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, I don't know that we've helped too much, so let's see. So first of all, how often does this happen? I mean, you have different. Oh my different. goodness. Well, I mean, the other I mean, thing I have that, three ideas right now that mm-hmm. I'm sort of, and I actually think, and I so so my two sort of daily writing buddies right now are both working on multiple projects. Mm-hmm. So I wrote to them and I said, "Well, I have a couple, and now I have three ideas, and I'm thinking I'll just take a page out of your books and write both of them, or you know, mm-hmm. all of them." And um, I think there's a way in which that can be. Certainly, you know, it can be effective to have something to weave in when you finish something and you're waiting for notes. Mm-hmm. And then you know, oh, I'm going to go back and work on the other one. I totally agree. You could do the productive procrastination with it. Um, So that's definitely another option is to take them all on. My hesitation for that is I actually think most people, like the kind of intimacy a novel offers, I don't know that most people can kind of weather substantially different voices, perspectives at the same time. We do know that some can, and we saw, oh my gosh, Call My Agent, when, um, what's her name? Uper. Remember she was going from 
film to film to film. Oh. oh gosh, I'm forgetting her first name, and I'm forgetting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and this is not my forte though, but um, oh my gosh. how I can picture her. But anyway, so she's. Um, yeah. Anyway, so she's in in this, you know. TV show, she's going from show to show to show, doing radically different things. So in one, she's like in a crime drama, and then she sneaks back within the hour to get an back to an, an historical like drama. drama. And then, um, <laughs> you know, from there she goes. Wasn't that it? Wasn't no, no, because then she was doing a little sort of weird documentary <laughs> in her own apartment. Like she was just so like doing all these different things at the same time. So some people definitely can. Uh, so that would be the other piece is being able to assess for yourself. Are you the kind of person who can do that kind of, I think, performative juggle? Right. Yep. That's a great question. And the other thing um, is uh, in terms of pitching, what I did when my therapist said, you know, pick 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 a project, is that I pitched them to my writing group. Mm-hmm. They didn't really pick, but it made me... And then I picked one and then I changed my mind. But I did it like within a week and then boom. I was like, that's mm-hmm. the one I'm going to do. So um, I also love doing like a NaNoWriMo thing, which is, you know, based on NaNoWriMo.org, which is National Novel Writing, writing month, month, where you write 50,000 mm-hmm. words in 30 days. But um, you can do it at any time if you just set yourself a daily goal. So I love sort of churning something out and having that draft. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, that's a way you could do them all and then let it sit because that thing of letting it sit is so, so important. And I just hate that part sometimes, you know, where you let it sit for a couple months. Yeah. Or in my case, like a decade and a half. (laughs) Um, I think that one of the things that's also sort of true about for me is it is a very immersive experience to write mm-hmm. something. So I can go for a long time in one world. And as I learn more about it, the more full it becomes, the easier it is for me to be in there. And if I, for myself, if I had to pop over and suddenly move to a completely different genre or even like a little bit different story... I, I think I would have to figure out how I would give myself intellectual transition time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I know for me, when I'm deep in something, the voice will sort of pop up and tell me things, to answer things for me. Like I'll be driving and I'll suddenly mm-hmm. have a passage come to mind, right? a new, mm-hmm. and I'll start, it Isabel, I'll record it. Isabel Huppert. Isabel Huppert. That yes. call my agent was just a highlight of the pandemic. <laughs> oh, it was so fun. We're like, we're going to move to You know, Paris. like the office was like a hugely popular show, got resurrected during the pandemic. And I think that if you wanted to be like in an, an office, but in Paris, that was a good, because it was definitely a relationship show between yeah. the characters as well. Yeah. So. It was good. So have we answered that question? How to decide? I think the most important thing we've said is this is so hugely a part of the process. Mm. Like it isn't like, why do I have three ideas or why is it hard to choose or why is it hard to move forward? These are all the things. So it's great news if you have lots of ideas. First of all, I say, if you don't have any ideas, start asking yourself 
Really great question. Start asking yourself, what do I want to write about? What do I have to say? What is a great I thing? I to- contradict that. Of course. Because that's who we are. But go ahead. Well, go ahead. Well, because sometimes for me, I feel depressed. That's why I feel like I can't, that I don't have any ideas. Mm-hmm. Nothing feels worth yeah, yeah, working yeah. on. And usually when I step back and I look at something I care about, like if I stop thinking about what do I want, what's the story I want to tell or whatever, mm-hmm. and stop thinking about myself and sort of pay attention to the mm-hmm. world around me. Um, what do I care about? What do I love? What matters to me? Not even that. See, that's... <laughs> It's just sort of like, you know, you look at me as though I'm... No, I just want to know what it is so they can know. I want to tell them. Well, it's a piece of stopping trying to get the answer. Mm -hmm. So it's not about asking questions. It's not even like, what am I interested in or what do I care about? But... To sit and be impacted. And I think that like when you look around and you have, I mean, I I get the stupid news on my watch and we, I was driving home and I was like, oh my God, Beverly Cleary, Mm. Larry McMurtry. Like these are like crazy little things. And I think about my mom and, and, you know, she had this like little dream of moving to uh, and into an apartment. She grew up in San Francisco and she had this dream with her friend, Barbara, with whom she is still friends. And, and they were, you know, she's telling me the story about their young selves, imagining a world where they got to share an apartment. And because of the time and place, it, it was harder for her parents to say, yes, go live with your friend. Uh, than it was to say, yes, get married at 17. At 17. So I think, those kinds of things, like when I'm like, oh, what was that like? Mm. Or what would that world have been? And I think about San Francisco and the San Francisco I knew, but how was it different in the early 60s, right? And how was it different for young women? And and that's the kind of thing that gets me excited. Like if I don't... Although interestingly, hmm. those are questions. They're questions that are not about me. Yeah, I mean, but just ask questions that are exciting and yes. give you and give you answers you know? yeah like that's the whole sort of tony robbins thing if you ask yourself why can't i come up with something or why can't i choose mm-hmm. your brain will explain to you why you can't come up with something or why you can't choose but if you say what how idea do i would be really excited of these or, three ideas which one would be really exciting which one would move me to work on or which one uh, is, or know? i think the other one is how you i know you've been struggling with this how do I decide? So you're asking someone outside of yourself. Ultimately, the painful truth is only you can decide what the right path is. You know you better than we know you. And so what, what are the things that keep you from deciding? Right. What are the things that scare you in each of the stories? And does that fear excite you or does it shut you down? So looking at yourself... And knowing yourself is going to be the best way to solve your own answer. There are strategies we can offer, but ultimately... And hopefully we have. (laughs) Ad nauseum. Because it is time for Steal Steal This. this. Amateur poets bark. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? Go ahead, Elizabeth, with your hand raised (laughs) high in the air. I just... 
I read, just listened to The Arsonist's City. Mm. And um, I loved it. And I just, you know, I, I just, it was, it was so pleasurable and, um, and just sort of absorbing. And I loved the characters and I loved, um, it's, um, I loved the story and I, you know, anyway, um, it's Hala Alyan and, um, it was also really well read, I will say. (laughs) Anyway, I want, like, the characters were so real-seeming. Like, they were so mm. real-seeming. And there were, like, multiple different point-of-view characters. Mm-hmm. Like, at least at least four. And really, and there was a fifth, for sure, who popped up at the end. Um, and um, I really, like, I liked all of them. And I, and they all had sort of dilemmas and situations. And I, and they were, you know... And complexities, and um, and I related to all of them, but I also wasn't, you know, they weren't identical to me in any particular ways, and it was just, I don't know, I just mm-hmm. thought this is wonderful. This is what this is what it's all about. It's not the hokey pokey; it's the arsonist city. Mm-hmm. So I, I especially love the the sort of voice might be the wrong word, but that sensibility of the characters where you're. You're in their lives, you're in their heads, you're in the details of their existence. They're, they're struggling. Their struggles aren't like life or death, but they're, they're sort of love, mm-hmm. uh, you know, <laughs> and meaning. And um, I, just, I just loved that. I just cared mm-hmm. about them, and I, it was very pleasurable to be in their world and in their struggles. Yeah. So that, I want to steal that. Um, great. Well, while we were traveling in our trailer, uh, one <laughs> of the... Around th- Sonoma County. Around Sonoma <laughs> County. One of the things that we ran into were uh, gale force winds. And we had neglected to look at the weather prior to leaving. And um, <laughs> so as our trailer was rocking... Uh, <laughs> from the outside. From the outside. I was listening to Ali Wong's Dear Girls. Mm. And I have to say, I mean, I haven't gotten that far into it because it was just last night that we were leaving or the day before. But in the middle of a, there's this crazy wind whistling, you know. You couldn't hear the ocean even though we were like on the beach. Yeah, we were on the beach and you couldn't hear the ocean because it was like. The wind was so loud. Um, So Ali Wong's Dear Girls you know, she talks about, you know, getting this letter from her dad. And it's this hugely poignant thing about, you know, how wonderful the letter was, but all the things that she sort of wished that they had had a chance to talk about and she'd lost her father. And so she's got a series of letters to her daughters, which she begins with this piece about, you know, being... So she has a letter from her father, and so she decides in turn to write letters to her daughter. Right. And so she has each section starts, dear girls. And then it'll go on to, like, crazy things about, like, the five guys she hooked up with, (laughs) all of whom lost their boners at some part of their hookup. And she kind of maybe thinks it's because her hands get really cold. (laughs) And so it's it's hysterical. It's really, really funny. And ironically, like, I'm the person who doesn't watch sex scenes on television shows or in movies, so the fact that I'm listening to Ali Wong is a little bit like, wow. At least you can't see. 
Right. So, uh, so apparently you can talk to me about that, but you cannot show, show me. Uh, anyway, so one of the things she does is she sort of talks about her own perfectionism going into writing a book and, and in her own spectacular way, like I could never, ever match it, but in her own spectacular way, she sort of like tears herself down in this way that is really connecting. <laughs> and I was like, I totally recognize this, but it's also liberating. It's this idea of, you know, she's not going to be the person. She starts with this whole story about how she's in a trivia contest with the writers. She was one of the writers um, in the first couple seasons of Fresh Off the Boat. And she was doing a trivia con- contest in her second year there. And one of them was like, how many miles away is the moon? And she said something like five billion. And everyone <laughs> was like not able to really process it. And, <laughs> you know, she, and she could tell like some people were trying to figure out, did she really think that? And other people were like, well, of course she knows the right answer. She's just being ironic, you know? And she's like, nope, I really thought that, right? And it was about <laughs> like, she's clearly super smart, right? She's clearly engaging and... At the same time, she does this whole teardown that makes space for her to actually create. Mm. And really just being like, I don't... It just, for me, given my whole worldview and the things that, you know, I think like many artists, there's that insecurity piece, like, is it good, is it not good? And she's just got this great way of approaching the whole conversation with saying, let's just get this out of the way to begin with. You know, she's like, I'm not the kind of person who uses the word effusive. I'm not the kind of, you know, it's like she uses this kind of language and she's this person and she owns that. Do I think that there's probably some character development in this? Probably. But it was hugely, not reassuring, but like relaxing, liberating in the middle of a windstorm (laughs) with our children in their bunk beds. It was just so, so great. And so if you haven't, check out Ali Wong's Dear Girls. Yeah. And then her movie was Okay, yeah. And she also references her movie. Always Be My Maybe. Always Be My Maybe. Randall Park. With Randall Park, who is... It's a rom-com. If you like a a rom-com, it's a really good one. Yeah. So we loved it. Um, But anyway, there you are. So from her, I am stealing, tearing yourself down to make space to make art. Ooh. Like giving up. Like, you know what? This isn't going to be great. Right? Yeah. Removing the yeah, but you didn't from modern art. All right. That's a <laughs> reference to modern art equals I could do this plus yeah, yeah. but you didn't. <laughs> and I love it. Go yeah. do it. <laughs>